it takes to heal, what it takes to forgive. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to grow. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together and to be in this place together. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us uh, so that we understand who you are and who we are in you. So we give this time to you, that you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus so that you are seen and heard in my mouth. Father, we thank you for this time. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So uh, a fundamental question we have to start with is very simple. Am I, are you, are we willing to do whatever it takes to grow? Now, you would like to grow different things in your lives, but are you willing to make those things happen? My guess is you would like to grow maybe the business that you own or run. You may be trying to grow your family. You may be trying to get a raise at work. Are you willing to do the things that will help that happen? Some of you are trying to stay clean and sober. Are you, try, are you willing to do the things that will make that happen? I, I heard a guy say recently that he was going into his boss to ask for a raise. Now, my internal monologue and my internal question said, okay, well, what are you doing to justify that? Are you doing what you already hired to do? And that's it? Or are you doing above and beyond? So that you can go in and say, here's what, here's the more, the more that I'm bringing to the table. That's doing what it takes to get that next thing. So as we desire to grow, not just individually and personally, but as a church corporately, there's some fundamental questions that we ask and really some very simple things that will come into play as we talk about what it takes to grow. In our we launched into this idea about what it takes to grow with a very simple premise. And it's about you and it's about me, it's about us. And our very first thing that needs to happen is this. If I'm going to grow, I'm going to have to die. That sounds very opposite of what you think. But it is the exact thing that God says you have to do in order to grow. That does not appeal to us. Because when we think of dying, obviously we think of that physical death. That's not what we're talking about today. But dying does not sound appealing. Because in that act of dying, what we understand is that I'm going to have to give up some things. If I'm really going to grow, if I'm really going to make that next change in my life, there are some things I'm going to have to die to. So, John 12, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, some of you plant stuff. You have a garden somewhere. Or you've had a garden somewhere. You've planted something. So let me ask you a very simple question. If you planted an apple, if you planted seeds to grow apples, right? You took that apple seed, you put it in the ground, you dug a hole, however big that hole is, I couldn't tell you. But that's what you did. What if what came up was just more apple seed? 
disgusting to guard for you? You ever plant corn? What if when you planted corn, the only thing that came up was more seeds for corn? That's it. You planted tomatoes. You planted tobacco. What if the only thing that came up was just more seeds? Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. Because when you planted that seed to grow apples, what grew? An apple tree. So out of that one seed, more things were produced, weren't they? Okay. So we understand then, Jesus says, in order for something to grow, something else has to die. You want things to change, but you're not willing to die so that something else can grow. really just like to stay the same and get all the benefits and all the changes and all the blessings without really having to die. I mean, I'd like for you to die. I mean, not literally, not all of you. <laughs> Let's face it, there's some. I'm not naming names. <laughs> yeah, you saw it coming. So we're happy when somebody else dies to whatever they have to die to. Or we're even more happy when somebody else dies to what we want them to die to. But if I have to die, well, I'm not really feeling that. I would really just like to stay the same and get all the good things from it. Well, Jesus says, but unless this seed goes into the ground and dies, nothing happens, nothing changes, and nothing gets produced. Now, not only Jesus makes these statements, but Paul says this a lot. Paul says over and over again, he introduces this idea, look, something has to die, something has to die, something has to die. You're going to have to die. Nothing will change unless you die. Romans 6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, meaning Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We continue to live in that slave mentality because we have not yet died. Now, you may have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you're still in that process of, of crucifying some things in your life. There may be no greater thing that will help you change than a really good old-fashioned crucifixion. I was reminded recently of a statement I made a long time ago. And I, I made the statement, and I think it's like what an original. I don't, I, I think. But it's too smart for me. So either I stole it from somebody else, or the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And that's this. A thing that will help us the most in our spiritual growth or physical growth, emotional growth, relational growth, is that we have to stop digging shallow graves. Do you remember that statement? You see, because when we die to something, we, we find a place and we dig this really shallow grave and throw a handful of dirt on it because we anticipate going and digging that up again, digging up that old behaviors, digging up that old nature, digging up those old actions, digging up those old character flaws, digging those things up. There may be no greater thing that will help you in your spiritual walk than you start digging deep graves. 
dig them deep so that they're gone. And you are less likely to go dig them up again. So Paul says, look, the way you used to be, that's been crucified. You should be dead to that. He goes on. He goes on. So we need to make some changes. Now the things that will help us, hold on, you should have Galatians 5.24 and Ephesians 4.22. Thank you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature in the body. I heard a man tell his son one time, hey, um, you need to remember who you belong to. Remember who your parents are. Remember who you belong to because wherever you go, people see me, they see you, and they associate us. I had a guy tell me just yesterday, he said, you know, everything my son does, I think, makes me look bad. Now, that's true if your kids are difficult, right? I mean, it's true if your kid's little, like, really? Nah. But if your kid's, you know, 25 or 35 or 45, that makes them look bad. It's interesting, he says, you belong to Christ Jesus. You, you don't belong to yourself anymore. So you need to start changing the way you think and act. Because who you were, it's been crucified. That sinful nature, those desires, that selfishness, that arrogance, that pride, that's been crucified. It's dead. It's dead. Ephesians. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lust. Okay, think about that character flaw that you have. Or maybe it's that uh, Hebrews talks about the sin that so easily weighs us down. Think about what that thing is in your life. It could be just a subtle heart attitude. It could be... um, you know, I was reminded re- recently that sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. Again, good. Most of us grew up thinking it was because we're good at it. If I was only as good at other things as I, as I was at sarcasm. So think about that thing in your life that just lingers and haunts. And it's always on the edge. It never, ever really goes away. And it never really goes away because you've only dug a shallow grave for it. It's just right there under the surface. And it's your go-to move to be a schmuck. Maybe to put people off, to keep them at a distance, to, to not let anybody in, to hold on to yourself, your pride, your arrogance, your old nature. He says, hey, um, that's, you need to put that off. Because it's corrupting you. So, we've looked at a handful of verses. Hopefully I don't have to convince you anymore that in order for you to grow, you're going to have to die. 
I'm going to have to die. We're going to have to die. In this place, we've said this many times. This This church culture changes. It changes drastically. In a new space, it changes. A lot of things will change. Every five to ten person that comes into this church family, this church changes. Especially at the size we are. It changes how we think about ourselves. It changes the dynamics. It changes what you think church is about. It's easy to be in a place for a long time and think that this is about you. Especially if you have church background. If you don't have a church background, you look around and go, okay, so what do we do now? If you have some kind of church background, especially you have a traditional church background, you look around and go, well, we should be doing everything that we have experienced in this perspective. And if you're not doing it, you want to tell me so that I can do it for you. So let me encourage you in your growth process. I have enough to do. If God is telling you something, he's probably telling you not so you can run and tell me, but so that you can do it. If God is burdening you with a task or a mission field or a group of people, he's probably telling you so you can do it. So as you grow, there's some things that, as we grow, there's some things that we have to die to. It's difficult to to die to the things we want. Because in the end, we've all convinced ourselves that we want all the right things. And everything we want, if we want it bad enough, we will convince ourselves that it's the right thing. Rather than looking at ourselves and our motives and our intentions critically, And by critically, you you understand I don't mean negatively. Negatively, I just mean that we really examine our motives and our attitudes and our intentions and whether or not we should die to them. Run away from it or run to it. So there's some things that we have to have, and there's really just two of them. In order for us to grow, we really have to have two things in our life, two influences. So... We have to have the right influences for us to change and for us to grow. The first one is we have to have the right people. And these are not order of importance. We have to have the right people around us. Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I don't like the word fool. It's the only word in the Bible that that comes with a curse. To call somebody a fool, the Bible says, you are cursed if you call somebody a fool. So I don't really like the word fool, and I have a friend who calls people fool all the time. Like, uh, ghetto kind of talk, right? Fool? I'm like, dude, do not say that. I don't mean that from the, uh, I don't care. I don't care how you mean it. Do not, do not, do not call people that. Are you kidding me? Um. We have to have the right people around us because, look, hang around wise people, you become wise. Have you ever learned a bad habit? No? Me neither. (laughs) So some of us golf. um, And when I play with people who are just starting, I say to them, stop. 
don't, don't start. Don't start golfing. Don't play this game. Just quit. Play tennis or checkers. Um, this game will torture you. It will be the best and worst thing that you ever do in your entire life. But really what I say is this. Don't play until you go take lessons. Learn from somebody who knows what they're doing. Do not listen to me. All I know is what I learned from other guys who are probably this much better than me, so I got their bad habits. And now I'm going to pass my bad habits on to you. But that's true in every single part of our lives. You ever work with somebody who's just really, really good at their job? You had two choices in that situation. You, you gravitated towards them because you knew they could help you be better. Or you got away from them because they made you look bad. Isn't that interesting about our, about our nature? We don't necessarily run to the people that will sharpen us and make us look better or, or, or do better. We tend to steer away from them and go, man, I'm not that great. I need to go over here to the church and hang out and fly under the radar. Solomon says, if you want to get better, then you hang around better people. If you want to be sharp, then you hang around sharp people. If you want to get smarter, you hang around smarter people. So we have to have the right influences to help us grow. Now, he talks a lot about, the Bible talks a lot about being around smart people. So people are just a small part of it, but they're an important part. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Don't kid yourselves. Don't be misled. Don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. It, it, moms, dads, if you want to have something on your refrigerator, have this. Have this. Tell your kids, if you hang around bad people, it's going to corrupt you. Because when it all happens, right, because when something goes down, and it's always going to go down <laughs> when somebody's in trouble, and whether you did that or not, when you were with them, guess what? You did it. Whether your hands were dirty, whether you were the instigator, you were just, it does not matter. As adults, what I've seen over the years is this. Divorces happen in groups. And some of you have seen this too. And they happen in pods. And so rather than couples being intentional about being around people that have good marriages, they will tend to gravitate towards couples who are as bad or worse than they are. So that's just a stark example. I mean, it's in every part of our culture and our personal lives. 
bad company, bad friends, destructive comparison. So if I'm going to grow, if you're going to grow, I simply have to, I simply have to have the right people around me. But I've also learned that having the right people around me, I don't have to be the star that shines on the forehead. Because what that op- th- what pr- that provides for me is the opportunity to learn. It also provides for me the opportunity not to be the guy. Are you ever the guy all the time, or the girl all the time? If there's something broke, um, hey Joey, um, you're always on. You are the one. says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We, we focus on the first part and we, l- and we let go of the second part, but I think the second part is incredibly important. He says, don't let any un- unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only say things that help each other up, that lift each other up. other people who know that other person why do we do that whether it's true or not i i think that i've heard well i know i've heard that people will say well that was true so that made it okay to say that's a bad formula for what you should repeat and here's why by show of hands does anybody have anything in their lives that nobody else knows about? Some secret? No, no, no. Keep them up. Keep them up. You're the only person that knows. Whatever thought you had, condition of your heart. Really? Nobody else? Everybody else is an open book? Really? Really? So everybody knows that secret thought that you had in your heart. Thank you, Marvin, for being honest. Marvin, come up here and tell us what that thing is. No. <laughs> it's true. Right. Okay, so would you want somebody saying that even though it was true? Huh. So even though that thing about you is true, you don't want somebody to say it. So when we apply the same principle, well, now, even if it's true, do I really need to say it? Is that building anybody up? Does that lift me? No, it doesn't. It only lifts you up. We, we, we're tempted to believe a lie by saying something bad about somebody else that makes us look good. It doesn't. It makes us look bad, too. So, the end of this verse, he says, 
that it may benefit those who listen. Hmm. So then, when Marvin is talking to me, and Dan and Tim and Bud are standing around, and Marvin says something good that is encouraging to me or helpful to me, it is not just benefiting me, but it's benefiting everybody else in the room. So when we say things that build each other up, it doesn't just benefit that person. It benefits the collective. So I wonder then, how deliberate and how intentional and how much we care that we are really building each other up. So man, I want to do life with you. I want to lift you up. I want to encourage you. Is life hard? Absolutely, yes, it is. Life tough? Absolutely, yes, it is. So for some of you, I don't post much on Facebook anymore, believe it or not. I might share something here or there. Rarely ever make big, long statements about what I'm thinking or doing. Um, Partially because uh, Facebook is as evil and as helpful, as evil as it is helpful, right? So, um, so for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm going to give it up to you in a moment. First time I was, I was privileged enough to pastor, I was in this I worked in a traditional church setting, old church building. So I was able to be in that sanctuary anytime I wanted. So I was. Mm-hmm. Had my office there. I could go in, sit down. And I spent a lot of time just sitting in those seats. Some of you have sat in those seats, and they're not comfortable. I mean, old oak makes your butt hurt and you go numb right so i would spend a lot of time throughout any given day or any given week just sitting in those seats and that truly was the place in my life where i was at peace and my thoughts were everywhere and that's the place where i recharge where i can sit building and it's and it's noisy and it's always creaking i was the only one in the building so this it was weird right the building always moved it was always a noise and you couldn't sneak up on anybody in the building because the doors were huge corridors so so i would sit often and it'd be quiet quiet so i had forgotten I'm in this building a lot, a lot. Every day I'm in this building, sometimes when we're working long hours, sometimes when we're working late. But yesterday, uh, I was in late in the I was in early in the morning yesterday, and I sat um, where Matt is. Now Matt is one of the people here today. <clears throat> no reason. That's just where I came in and sat. Now most of you know, if you've been in here without the people, these lights are motion sensitive. So you never have to touch a switch. When you come in, the sensor here and the sensor there picks it up. Lights do that. They'll stay on 30 minutes or so um, until there's no movement from anywhere else. So I sat back there, and it dawned on me what had been missing for years. So I sat there, and I wrote, and I forgot to give thanks. I forgot what I suffered. I forgot what he did for me. 
forgive us. Come into our sanctuary. This is our sanctuary. We're no longer in the reception hall. This is our sanctuary. This place, you sit sacred This is the one place where we collect together, where we sing, where we fellowship, where we worship, where we look at God's word and go, holy smoke, I better do something about that. Or, holy smoke, I better keep listening. Second thing, and again, this is not an order of importance, obviously, but in order for me to grow, I have to have God's Word as a daily presence in my life. Not a Sunday morning for an hour thing looking at words on a screen, but it has to be part of my daily regimen. It has to be part of what I feed myself with constantly. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves and whose fruit does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. So then, if I allow God's word to be in my life, to be in my thoughts, to be in my lips, I am like that tree that will never, ever dry up. There are some trees in our area um, that are called bald cypress. Have you heard of them? Anyone? There, I know four of them. Two of them are on a golf course. The others are out in the corner. Now, if you've lived around here for, long, for a while, you know where Mrs. Long's Peach Farm used to be. Okay. If you don't, that doesn't mean anything to you. You have to go by the old barn. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't actually help you either. Uh, it's out in the corner uh, before you get to Wolfsburg Church Road. 
Uh, there's a little pond on the left, and there are two cyclists there that most of the year have no green on them whatsoever. And if you drove by them for most of the year, you'd go, oh, they're just there. They're just standing around. No. Nope. They live and exist by water, and at a certain time of the year, they are as green as any tree you'll ever find. He said, look, the guy who loves God's word, the woman who loves God's word, the child, the teenager, the adult who loves God's word, this is what they look like. And they're like a tree that's planted by the sea. Do you know what the tallest tree in this part of the country is? Sycamore. Do you know where sycamores grow? By water. By water. And they're a ma- and they're brittle trees, but they're a nasty tree. And they're always finding them by water source. So if a person who meditates on God's word person I know has suffered from that. So I say that to say this to you. You cannot make an excuse for not making your daily life revolve around God's word. It has to be the thing you wake up to. It has to be the thing that you remind yourself of at work when Susan gets there late at night. say Susan does. She's asleep somewhere else. So here's what we know. The more I have God's word in me, the more I have the opportunity to be out of God's word. Not just in my words, because nobody wants, nobody cares what you say. We all care what you do. Because we've all said stuff that had good intentions some reason we failed that last time. So the more I have God's word in me, the more it's going to come back out. So, our next verse, again from Psalm. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in all the Bible, and it talks more about God's word than any other part of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can the young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Psalm 119, 103. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Real change, real growth happens when I discover that the more of God's word I have in my life, the better my life is. Not church. Not strong relationships. But the more of God's word I have in my life, the better my life is. There is no substitute. I love the songs we sing. We are so blessed to have Roger call the UPM and the songs we learn. I love to sing. I love worship. But there is no substitute for God's word. It has to be the thing that sustains us. It has to be the thing. If I am going to grow, if you are going to grow,
times it's hard for us to see, it will always be that way. It will always be that way. So I encourage you not to run away from it. Not to run away. Most of us are old enough that we have not had growing pains. Remember that? Kids, I don't need to, I don't know if parents tell their kids that lie anymore. But every time I would ache a little bit, growing pains. Right? <laughs> maybe that's true medically, maybe it's not. I, I'm not sure. But spiritual growing pains should be part of our lives. That God should give us to stretch us, to grow us. We're going to have to go through probably crucifixions on a daily basis. Joe Stoll, I think, uh, he's a Christian speaker, he's doing a, uh, some sort of conference speaking, and he got back to his hotel room late at night, and um, he, gets in the, he gets in the elevator to go up to his room, and in the elevator walks a young lady, and she has obviously had too much to drink, and she was dressed like she's had too much to drink, so it's just him and her in this elevator. And as he tells the story about how attractive she was and how immediately he felt like, oh, no, what have I done? He said, in my head, I just imagined myself kind of over in the corner of the elevator having a crucifixion. Like, don't look at her. Don't look at her. Don't look at her. Just hit a button and get off the elevator. Now, maybe to you, it's not that. It's whatever attitudes, whatever behaviors, whatever actions that you daily will have to deal with. That's probably something you know better than anybody else. So our growth, our spiritual pains and weaknesses, we have to come to this. We have to accept and readily take the truth that we're going to have to battle with this. We're going to have to battle with this. Now, Jesus said very clearly, once that thing dies, great things happen. And you know the verse, um, what's it, 1224? John 1224. Jesus, in that context, you know what he was talking about? His own death. He was giving a prophecy about his own death. And he said, unless something dies, unless that kernel of wheat falls in the prophesying and telling about his own death. Now, where would we be without the crucifixion? We would have nothing. We would have nothing. We would have no hope. I encourage you, change the way you think about the death of Jesus. I just need to die to that. Just ask him, Jesus, where would you be without me? I just need to die to that attitude because great things happen. I need to die to that behavior. I need to die to myself because great things can happen because of Jesus. I need the right people, and I need God's word in my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us Jesus. We thank you that you speak to our hearts early on this morning. We thank you that your word is always right, and it's always calm, and it's able to make its way into our hearts and minds. So, Father, we love you and we thank you.
show up not in this place only, but every morning and every day in our lives. Lord, help us to be willing to die. Help us to make wise choices about the people in our lives. Help us to be deliberate so that your word becomes a part of who we are. You are good and you are holy. We love you. In your excellent name, Jesus.